Hi, this is We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Today's Halloween. We have a great show today all about the dark side of plants. But first I want to say that today's show is sponsored by Hearst Ranch. Now, Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, go to hearstranch.com. So I am Alice Marcus Krieg. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we are the garden designers of Groundworks, Inc. Um, We design and install gardens all around New York City. And what we love most about this time of year is that we get to talk about dark, scary plants. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So now that it's Halloween, Carmen, start talking. Well... Alice might know this, but some of you may not, that I have a special attraction to dangerous and deadly plants. Um, (laughs) Scary music! (laughs) Halloween! Um, A good friend sent me a bag full of the seeds of one of the most deadly plants known to man. It's called the Abris Precatorius, or the Jacaridi bean. He grows it in his garden, and they're beautiful to behold. Scarlet and black, they're, they're almost tempting to taste. They are gorgeous. Really, really lovely. And in the past, they were used as rosary beads, and sometimes killing those unlucky penitents who accidentally prick themselves while stringing them. So they're really very dangerous, and I could kill a host of enemies with the stash that I have. <laughs> <laughs> That's another show. <laughs> yeah. But in spite of the like obvious danger, I just can't make myself throw them out. Some people thought I think I'm kind of crazy. They're like, you have a kid in the house, you know? Why don't you get rid of this? And they're hidden, oh, but it's you know? no, no different than like bleach. Or, I know. You know they're just to me they represent something magical about plants. You know, mm-hmm. unassuming, seemingly, um, you know, kind of passive but yet kind of you know aggressive now just like me (laughs) sometimes nice sometimes sometimes nasty um now my grandmother was considered a healer in the old country in italy and she used herbs as well as like these various incantations to assist people in like childbirths and and also to ease pain and to deal with you know, various kinds of injuries. And I was always really fascinated by her abilities. And I asked her many times to teach me, you know, her her skills, and she wouldn't. She said that you have to have the calling. You have to have the calling for it. You can't just be taught it. So that kind of reminded me about plants. Plants that are poisonous can also heal. And it's sort of a fine line that only the most practiced, you know, should cross. So there's the public service announcement. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just letting you guys know, do not, you know, this is not, um, our description of poisonous plants is not is by no means like all inclusive. There's many, many more plants that are poisonous than this. And, and it's not advocacy. (laughs) Yeah. Just let, just let me poison my enemy. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm a plant person. So anyway, um, this side of the plant kingdom, like really fascinates me because like I said, they're, they seem so sedate and unassuming compared to like, you know, their animal cousins, a while, a while cougar, an elephant, even an ant can inflict more damage than a lowly weed can, right? Sure. Well, the simple answer is that depends on the plant. So on this day associated with the spirit world and in some circles, the dark arts and magic in which plants, of course, figure a very prominent role. I wanted to talk about some very specific 
magical and powerful plants and their history and uses. And some are incredibly common and some are kind of obscure. So to start with, um, one of the ones that I find most fascinating is called mandrake or Satan's apple. Its botanical name is Mandragora officinarum. So officinarum usually means that it was used medicinally in the you know in, mm-hmm. in an official pharmaceutical sense mm-hmm. you know back in the day, and it's also in the Solan- Solanaceae or nightshade family, which eggplants and tomatoes and potatoes and all that that family of plants. So its fruit kind of looks like a mini little cherry tomato, except smaller, and it happens to be a European native, but. Its power lies below ground and not in those fruits. It has a long pointed root that can grow to like three to four feet long. And it's forked like a carrot that's grown in rocky soil. When you grow carrots in like rough soil, it splits, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and it's, to some people, the root resembled like a devilish little person, um, you know, because it had legs, you know, when it forked out and arms and a head, you know? Yeah, now this is the Harry Potter... Yeah, this that's is the right. one that screams exactly in you know? Harry Potter movies, and you know it's been historically used by many different cultures. The Romans believed that it could cure demonic possession, and the ever sex obsessed ancient Greeks that we always talk <laughs> about thought it looked like a male sexual organ and used it in love potions. So. Um, it's, it's had a long, long history with mankind. Now, according to another legend, like Alice said, when the root is dug up, it screams and it kills all who hear it. So um, there's different um, descriptions of how you can harvest it with relative safety. And the one that I thought was really interesting was Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, gives the following directions for pulling it up. Here, here I'm going to quote him. A furrow must be dug around the root until its lower part is exposed. Then a dog is tied to it, after which the person tying the dog must get away. The dog then endeavors to follow him and so easily pulls up the root, but dies suddenly instead of his master. After this, the root can be handled without fear. Oh, <laughs> it's horrible, right? <laughs> Just let the dog do it. <laughs> it's sad, but that, that's what he was recommending. Um, Now, one of the most famous uses of mandrake was in literature. The friar gives Juliet a mandrake lace sleeping potion in Shakespeare's play, which induces the death-like coma state that leads to her and Romeo's ultimate demise. Now, Shakespeare didn't know it, but it was atropine, along with other alkaloids in the plant, that slows down the nervous system and induces that state that Mm -hmm. seemed like death. Um, now, also another interesting bit of folklore that I found was that in some countries, mandrake would only grow where the semen of a hanged man had dripped to the ground. <laughs> I'm sorry, but when men are hanging, I don't think... I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what happens when men get hung, but... Yeah. But well, that's interesting. The, yeah. So this would appear to be the reason for the methods employed by the alchemists who, quote, projected human seed into uh, animal earth, unquote. Right. Now, this is interesting. Um, This is taken, this is a quote from Paul Christian, who wrote A History and Practice of Magic in 1963, and he pulled a lot of information from old folkloric texts. He said, 
Would you like to make a mandragora as powerful as the, as the homunculus or a little man in a bottle so praised by Periclesis? Then find a root of the plant called bryony, take it out of the ground on a Monday, the day of the moon, a little after the vernal equinox, cut off the ends of the root and bury it at night in some country churchyard in a dead man's grave. For thirty days, water it with cow's milk in which three bats have been drowned. When the thirty-first day arrives, take out the root in the middle of the night and dry it in an oven heated with branches of verbena. Then wrap it up in a piece of dead man's winding sheet and carry it with you everywhere. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that, that's, some, that's a Halloween craft that you're not going to find in Martha Stewart living. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Oh, Martha, where are you now? <laughs> that's a great, that's a great uh, little story. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you can get all these, um, you know, ingredients, um, you're welcome to try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Semen from a hanging man. Yikes. Aconite or wolfsbane or monk's hood. Um, it's in the ranunculae family. And it's a beautiful perennial flower with clear blue spikes of blooms that look like little monk's hoods. Hence the common name. All parts of this plant are extremely toxic. In fact, gardeners should wear gloves when they plant it. Um, but it's also a great-looking plant in it the is perennial, beautiful. In the perennial beautiful. garden. Um, in Greek mythology, the deadly plant springs from the spite of the three-headed hound um, as Hercules dragged it out of Hades. Yeah, Which, the Greeks are found, fond of naming, explaining why there's beautiful flowers everywhere. <laughs> and, and, and poor dogs. <laughs> I know, poor dogs. <laughs> so Wolfsbane has been ascribed with supernatural powers in the mythology relating to werewolves, um, either to repel them, relating uh, the use to the poisoning of wolves and other animals, or in some way induce um, their lacanthropic condition, as wolfsbane was often an important ingredient in witches' magic ointments. In folklore, uh, wolfsbane was said to make a person into a werewolf if it is worn, smelled, or eaten. They are also said to kill werewolves if they wear, smell, or eat wolfsbane. So um, beware all you gardeners out there. <laughs> yeah, wear gloves. And if you do happen to have some in the garden carry it with you so that in case you run into a werewolf you know i think it was also featured alice in those vampire movies that mm -hmm. are popular now in those tv twilight, shows, twilight. And, yeah i'm sure that it uh, it's a it's made an appearance somewhere yeah the poison of wolfsbane is an alkaloid called um acantine it paralyzes the nerves and it lowers the blood pressure and eventually stops the heart um, and it makes your face nice and hairy, apparently. <laughs> yes. So swallowing the plant or its roots can bring severe vomiting and then death by asphyxiation. Even casual skin contact can cause numbness, tingling, and cardiac and cardiac symptoms. I don't think we've ever planted that in anyone's no, garden. We, we always stay away from it. Yeah, especially um, folks that have children and pets. You yeah, know, you just don't want to take a chance. So, as as beautiful as they are, mm -hmm. we we tend not to plant them. You know, in those conditions. But one plant we do use um, in select gardens is Datura. Oh, it's beautiful. Which is gorgeous. Jimson weed. Its botanical name, Datura stramonium, is nicknamed Jimson weed because um, in Jamestown, the island in Virginia, 
Um, that area was overrun with this plant. In fact, a few deaths resulted from the original settlers adding this weed to their poor diet. Those poor hungry colonists looking for anything to nourish them in that swampy game, scarce land. Yeah, they chose a pretty bad spot for a colony. (laughs) The Indians were probably laughing at them going, there's nothing to eat here, fools. (laughs) Go ahead, eat away. We don't even have to chase them away. They're they're just going (laughs) to die on their own. So their gruesome deaths were probably marked with delusions, convulsions, and respiratory failure. When the British soldiers tried to quell an uprising at the colony 70 years later, the settlers remembered the (laughs) the weeds and and slipped this into the soldiers' food, causing no deaths, but causing them to go crazy for 11 days. Yeah, I was in the article that I read about it, they were acting like apes, and they were... (laughs) Can you imagine their laughter? There are some people that I would like to do that for. (laughs) And it is a beautiful white and purple uh, trumped shaped flower. Um, It's six or more inches long and it unfurls during the day and closes at night. It flourishes in most of tropical and temperate North America. And here we use it as an annual for real focal points and drama. It's gorgeous. The Datura's fruit is the size of a small egg and kind of prickly and sinister looking. And in fall, it releases a handful of these um, highly toxic seeds. So the effects of Datura poisoning are hallucinogens, seizures, and even death. And some other relatives of Datura which is in the Solanaceae family and nightshade family that you were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. that are equally dangerous include Brugmansia, which is also popular among garden specimens. Yeah, they always plant that in the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Oh, (laughs) yeah, because it's it's amazing. And then, of course, deadly nightshade or Atropia belladonna. Well, we're going to talk about that after we take a little bit of a break right now. We're going to get into a few more plants that are beautiful but deadly. Stay tuned. Welcome back to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. That was Hemlock, an appropriately named song for our show today by Burning Paris. Now, we mentioned previously, um, before our break, about Atropa belladonna, also known as Devil's Cherry. This plant also contains the tropane alkaloids, which cause the rapid heartbeat, the confusion, the hallucinations, and seizures. In fact, interestingly, the symptoms are so unpleasant that atropine is sometimes added to um, potentially addictive painkillers to patients to keep them from getting hooked, which I found really, really interesting. Um, Medical students today memorize this simple memory trick to recognize the signs of uh, this type of poisoning. They say, hot as a hare, blind as a bat dry as a bone, red as a beet, and mad as a hatter. The madness being meaningless speech, which is a sign of nightshade poisoning. 
which is really interesting. Yet, you know, early physicians used this um, herbaceous perennial along with mandrake, henbane, opium, and hemlock as a surgical anesthetic. So can you imagine having <laughs> surgery on you while you're hallucinating? And, and being ingested with all of these drugs? Oh, my That's God. Crazy. So, um, but people actually, um, st- besides um, being used um, in, in potentially addictive drugs, it's also used today as an antidote to poisoning from nerve gas and pesticide exposure. Wow. And that's what we were talking about earlier about the doses are really important. You have to really know what you're doing. You can't mess around with these plants and sort of try to, you know, mm-hmm. you know, use them recreationally. They are no joke. Like mm-hmm. you really have to know what you're doing. So where does the common name belladonna come from? Well, we know that Italian women um, in the Middle Ages dropped these mild tinctures of the deadly nightshade into their eyes to dilate them, which they thought made them more alluring. So that's one explanation. Um, Another is the term buona donna uh, was a term for a medieval witch doctor who treated the indigent with mysterious potions. (laughs) The indigent. The indigent, you know. Um, so in the past, um, you know, this belladonna figured importantly in witches' brews, and it was believed that a mixture of belladonna, opium poppy, and other plants that were typically poisonous, such as we were talking about, like monkshood and poison hemlock, went into their sort of flying ointments, which they applied to themselves to help them fly to gather gatherings with other witches. Um, one writer, Carla Ginsburg have argued that flying ointments were preparations meant to encourage hallucinatory dreaming, a possible explanation for the inclusion of the, of the belladonna and the opium poppy. Um, because there's an antagonism between the two alkaloids. The belladonna has the scopolamine and the opiates in the opium poppy, which is like morphine, the two of them together create this dreamlike waking state. And this antagonism was known in folk medicine, and it was discussed in botanical medicinal formularies, and it was posited as the explanation for how flying ointments may have actually worked um, in witchcraft. So this antagonism between opiates and tropanes was the original basis of the twilight sleep that was used in the Victorian era. In fact, it was applied, it was used on Queen Victoria to deaden her pain as well as consciousness during childbirth. Mm -hmm. In those days, it was perfectly normal to be passed out while giving birth. Sure. In fact, even I I wonder if um, my mother, with my younger siblings, my mother was pretty much passed out during birth, which was very different. Um, from my experience, <laughs> from today's, <laughs> I'm going to embrace this experience. Yeah. Well, I took drugs. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. I, think, I was taking yeah. them. I don't know what was in them, and I didn't care. Yeah. Um, so then, um, let's talk about another really beautiful plant that digitalis. also digitalis. Now, digitalis purpurea. Um, that plant has magical and doom-laden associations, and it's reflected in its other names, witches' gloves and dead men's fingers. And we've, in fact, we just planted some foxglove. Yeah, glove, we didn't do we? plant foxglove. Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's an interesting plant. It's it's a biennial, which means it doesn't bloom the first year. It takes two years from the time of mm-hmm. planting to get it to flower. This is the quintessential English border. Yeah. 
Exactly, exactly. And it's a native to England um, since the 15th century. And it's usually found like in open woods and woodland clearings and along the road of banks. And um, in fact, um, what I was reading is that it's really starting to disappear in the English countryside um, as a, a wildflower. So now it all parts of this plant are also toxic. But it has a use in modern medicine for heart conditions, being the plant from which digitalin is extracted for treating heart disease. And what digitalin does is increases the force of heart contractions and so helps in congestive heart failure. Um, Only flowers that are pale pink or magenta with no other markings can be used from the medicinal foxglove. The um, the leaves for digitalin extraction are from two-year-old plants and are harvested when two-thirds of the flowers have opened. So this was discovered quite a long time ago by this Dr. William Withering from Warwickshire. That was a mouthful. <laughs> well, what? <laughs> William Withering from Warwickshire discovered digitalin as a heart strengthener, strengthener in 1785. Now, it also has to be administered by someone qualified in its use. You know, if you have a heart condition, you can't just go and start munching on some digitalis uh, leaves or flowers because <laughs> an overdose or an accumulation of it, of this digitalin, can lead to nausea, vertigo, depression, anxiety, you know, confused vision, coma, and even death in some cases. So you have as to, if your heart condition wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> well, in those days, a lot of times the cure was as deadly as the as the sure. illness. Yeah, right? right, right. So there also is a lot of folklore attached to this stately plant. It was believed that it that when the stem leaned over, when supernatural beings were present, which could be handy if you needed to ascertain if fairy folk were nearby, Alice, or perhaps a more malevolent spirit. It's also alleged that witches used it in ointments rubbed on their thighs, like I said before, to make them fly. And um, also they said that fairies gave foxes foxglove flowers to wear on their paws to enable them to approach chickens silently and take them. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So, And foxglove juice was believed to ward off the fairies who tried to kidnap children. And you must never harm the plant or the fairy folk will have revenge on you, Alice. So plant those at, at your pedophile neighbor's house. <laughs> Keep away from the children. <laughs> um, now, foxglove's leaves were also placed in children's shoes to prevent scarlet fever. And it was also an important traditional remedy for dropsy. Whatever. What, what is dropsy? I'd like to know what that is. Now, on a more feasible note, the belief was held that bad luck would follow if foxgloves were brought indoors. They were even deemed unlucky on board ships. However, people noted that cut flowers tended to last longer if foxgloves were also added. Hmm. Um, and in Kent, the ladies used their sturdy stalks and made them into parasol handles. They also... Um, in, England, in Wales, you, a black dye was obtained from the leaves, and lines were painted on stone cottage floors, possibly as an anti-witch device. So it's really, really interesting. The foxgloves, they've been known in Europe since the Dark Ages, and they were even used as a poison for the medieval trial by ordeal, which must not have been very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Funny they don't do that anymore. 
Yeah. So um, in 1578, um, this Belgian herbalist said that digitalis is found in dark, shadowy valleys and combs where there is mining for iron and smith's coal. He says, boiled in water, the foliage was used for liver and spleen complaints, but no mention uh, was made of it of its use as a heart sedative. An old Italian proverb says, digitalis cures every wound, probably because you were in a coma or passed yeah. out. <laughs> uh, one of the most famous herbalists of all time, Gerard, advocates its use for a variety of complaints. And Parkinson, another um, herbalist of the 17th century, he doesn't say anything about its actions of the heart, but people were experimenting with it for many, many centuries. Yeah. Now, um, I want to sort of end the show with on a more personal note and the last very toxic plant that we're going to talk about and it's the, probably the most common of all of them. We that's all used. have seen this. We've all seen this. It's called Taxus baccata and it's commonly known as yew. A very common evergreen is planted everywhere as a hedge or as a specimen being that it's very long-lived, very durable, thrives just about anywhere. Now, a hedge of yew encircles my parents' drive. And one day, about eight years ago, as I was working on their garden, I had a close encounter with the toxic properties of this plant. My son, Max, who was about two years old at the time and was being duly ignored by all of us, approached us with what appeared to be blood on his face. And then on closer inspection, I realized that it wasn't blood, but some kind of like red pulp. When I asked what he had eaten, he pointed to the yew hedge with its juicy red berries. Now, my heart stopped when I saw that because I knew how toxic ingesting just one seed from that berry would be, especially to someone of his size. So, of course, he was rushed to the emergency room and had his stomach pumped with very little, you know, ill effect except a really bad memory. (laughs) And we were both really lucky that day. He had not swallowed any of the highly toxic seeds because eating just a few of the seeds or a handful of the leaves will bring on gastrointestinal symptoms, a dangerous drop in pulse rate and possible heart failure. Yeah, um, yeah. My father um, has lung cancer, and his medicinal treatment was actually a medicine that was derived from you because it um, it acted as a suppressant and a um, yes, yeah. it was a uh, I forget the term, but it it was a painkiller, and it helped him you know, through his chemotherapy, they would give him this medicine. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was you based. And I remember talking with the doctor about it. Um, yeah. So even though it's highly poisonous, the, in fact, the re, it was a research from the National Cancer Institute, Alice, that found mm-hmm. that the you the U extract had potent anti-tumor properties. So not only as a painkiller, but it actually helped reduce tumors. Mm-hmm. So now the drug that you were thinking of is probably called Taxol. It's used to fight breast, ovarian, and lung cancer. And these companies go around and they collect U clippings from English gardens for use um, by the pharmaceutical industry. So, um, you know, every time you look at a you know ordinary U hedge, think about that. Right. You know, so these these powerful plants, their their amazing powers makes me ponder: are they our salvation? Or a possible extinction? The simple answer, again, is it depends. And also reminds me how much we still have to learn about and from, you know, the plant kingdom. 
So thank you for listening today to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. Um, the show will be available for listening via archive at heritageradionetwork.com and also via podcast. We're going to be posting um, a link to um, some amazing um, medicinal gardens and also even a poison garden in England on our Facebook fan page. We'd like to thank Jack Inslee for producing and Nat Wiener for engineering and to Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Have a happy and a safe Halloween. Thank you. Thank you.